Hey, welcome back to Horford Road, everybody. I'll even try and behave myself. Uh, welcome back to Port for the Road, everyone. I'm No Shame. We got uh, Professor Blade with us today. We got Drifter and we got Chris. How you guys doing? Right. Every day above ground is a good one. Uh, and yeah. you can't take that for granted nowadays. It, so, uh, the reason we just kind of impromptu we decided to get on here and record tonight um, is I brought a conversation up to the guys and it kind of got spurred on to me because of just how uh, how things have been going on the TikTok recently. So a lot of you guys will send me stuff on TikTok, and it's like, I get it. TikTok's like the most toxic place for bikers to be probably on the entire internet. So everybody wants to see videos of people getting bashed and, and shit talking on TikTok and shit like that. So I get it. But uh, a lot of the videos that people send me, I like, I watch them, and I'm just like, well, the guy's not really wrong, you know? Um, now, there's people that I see on there that I don't necessarily agree with 100% of the time, or they might say one or two things that I'm like, okay, you know, maybe they could tweak their, their thinking a little bit. But if the majority of what they're saying is accurate, like, why, why the fuck am I going to bash them on something little? Um, so there's this video that got sent to me multiple times. I'm going to play a little clip of it. Um, and this is the piece that kind of got us started on this conversation. Then we'll kind of go into it and address the conversation as a whole. So let me play this clip real quick for you guys. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking. We are an MC. I don't know what you mean by traditional. So one of the things that was asked in that question was like, oh, you guys aren't a traditional MC or like, you know, in the thinking that like, a three-piece path is a traditional MC. And, you know, the the question that I posed to everybody on uh, Four for the Road earlier was, you know, what do you guys think people mean when they say traditional MC? Does it, like, have any weight? And, like, where does that term come from? Because if we go to what I think a lot of people look at as what they would think a traditional MC is, I don't necessarily think it's what the uh, original MCs were. So why do we call it traditional MC? Where does it come from? And is it even valid? Let me chime in here. Then um, One reason why I was very interested in this topic is because I've heard the term traditional MC being used, or abused, I should say, by those who want to portray their brand new booty MC as something more than it actually is. And then you have those who are completely misguided and they assume that in order to be a traditional MC you have to have a certain patch setup, which didn't exist when the first MCs were around in the first place. So there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of myopic views, a lot of uh, just uh what's the technical term? Straight up bullshit <clears throat> out there. Um so yeah, that's kind of Keep my interest on this. I was very interested in the term traditional because that's a very nebulous term. You ask 50 different people what that means, you'll get 50 different answers. And just like Professor Blake said, that whole idea of a three piece patch, that's, you could trace that basically 
to the fifth. You know, um, before that, there was no, there wasn't even a leather vest. It was club sweaters or club racing jerseys. And even before that, there really, for most clubs, didn't even have any kind of logo. It was just the name of the club spelled out. And then logos started to appear. And then they started appearing on the racing jerseys. So, so this whole idea that it takes a three-piece patch to be a, a traditional club, that's... To kind of piggyback on what Drifter's saying, I mean, it kind of speaks to maybe a little bit about the education or the knowledge of those folks that are throwing around the word traditional to where, you know, traditional in their eyes is based on their level of experience and, and their, you know, maybe firsthand knowledge of, you know, what they've seen around. Because, you know, I mean, if you look at the patch setups, every, everything has gone through, um, transitional periods, you know, I mean, from, there being city bottom rockers to then not being the one to want to be identified for the city that you're at, changing that to a state bottom rocker and then, and then, you know, moving the city up to the front, um, you know, so that way you weren't so visible over the highway as, okay, well, this guy's from, you know, San Bernardino, this guy's from Oakland, this guy's from, you know, Olympia, Washington, this guy's from Las Vegas, Nevada. You know what I mean? It, it makes it a little bit uh, more work for folks to figure out just at a glance where exactly, you know, we're from. Um, but I, I think in like today's day and age, a lot of folks will use the word traditional and it'll be overused like the word brother and become a little bit soulless and hollow because what they're trying to say is, okay, well, we're trying to emulate whichever dominant club is in the area. And we're using that model as what traditional actually is, even though that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't encompass, you know, the past hundred years of motorcyclism. Tell me what your idea of traditional is and let's have a conversation. But using it as a slam on somebody, oh well you're not a traditional MC, well, you know, hey man, come up with a better argument. Say something that actually has some teeth to it. Don't just use a, a random term that can be misinterpreted by the person that you're talking. So I have a question, um, and it's, it kind of goes back to something that um, has been said on our page and you know pages that we've been associated with, and that is um, if if you're going to refer to your club as MC, then it needs to be a male only club, and if there's females in the club or a female motorcycle club. Then it needs to have motorcycle clubs spelled out. Uh, so, first part of the question is that something that we generally agree with, or is that something that you kind of leave up to? You know, it, it's that way certain places, and it's that and not that way other places. What's the, what's the overall consensus on that? And then after that, I have a follow up question. Well, from my point of view, I, I don't agree with that because there are some very well established clubs go back to the fifties that have motorcycle clubs spelled out that they are a traditional motorcycle club if you will. You know? Um, so no, I think each club, especially nowadays, has to be taken on its own merit. So you you judge each club by what they do and what they are today. Not some old fashioned or 
something that was probably regional, like MC are spelled out more That's just my opinion. Um, let me follow up to that. Um, my first club was a co-ed club. Didn't work for me. Um, it will never work for me. That being said, there are long-established co-ed clubs out there which have earned their MC status, and they are not to be dismissed simply because of your own personal views. So, you as a club might not accept the fact that that's a co-ed club. You might not want to mingle with them, and that's okay. That doesn't make them not an MC because of your own personal views. And it's not because times have changed, it's just because times have enlightened and put a visual on clubs that have existed for 40, 50 years um, with females and males side by side. Um, we all know that a lot of uh, outlaw 1% of clubs have had females in the club in the past. And again, Almost all of them. Yes. You know, we had them in ours. And, and my personal view is, you know, I'm good with just male-only club. But that's my personal view. I am not going to dismiss a club because they have females in it. And I have some friends from a well-known, I'm not going to name the club, but a well-known, um, you know, they are national MC, and there are females in the club. And go ahead and tell them to their face, please videotape it, that they are not an MC. I would love to see the results. I know what the results are going to be but we all want to see them for entertainment purposes. And you bring up like a great point that, uh, you know, any long-standing club, not, I won't say any, most long-standing clubs, if, if you do your own research and Google, just like, wait, I'm not going to go name dropping, but uh, you'll find pictures of, of women that uh, were wearing full set patches and uh, documentation of women who are actually members, not even just a picture. Cause I know a lot of people like to say like, Oh yeah! Before it was acceptable for the man to put his cut on the on the woman. That's not true in all the cases. There are cases of well-established, well-known clubs that had full-patched female members, and you know through the evolution of things that changed. And you know, I think the the general consensus now is that uh, an outlaw club would not have females in it. But going back to the question about um, MC versus motorcycle club, what do you think? Uh, like one of the things you said, Blade, is that there, you know, there's clubs out there that have earned their MC status. What what does that mean to you guys to have a club like what what constitutes their ability to rock an MC cube in general? They're not afraid to come out. They're out there riding. They're following the traditions. They're functioning with people in general. Um, you know, they're doing the same things that we are doing. You know, obviously they are doing things that are different because they have different membership. But we see them at the same events that we go to. We see them on the road. Um, their members do try not to shame their patch. So, you know, and, and, the, and they're holding it up. They've been tested and they're holding it up. I mean, as I said, I would love to see somebody... <clears throat> The club I'm thinking about, I'd love to see somebody go ahead and tell them that they're not an MC and please videotape it. That will be a very entertaining uh, video. 
my big thing with MC is being an asset to the community and being an asset to the culture. It's an important thing. It's a it it is the one common thing that everyone has in common is that MC. If you really want to get down to it, it's the one thing aside from the motorcycle that cube or that that MC stands for something and, it, and I mean at the heart of it it means that the organizations are technically the same there's a process for membership there's a vetting process there is a brotherhood or a sisterhood there and that is those first pieces of of thread that makes up that fabric right that brings that coat of arms in whichever form, whether it's a single piece, a two piece, a three piece, at whatever evolution or whatever stage or whatever the membership has decided, this is going to be our coat of arms. When you when that MC is part of it, there's that nostalgia aspect in it, where at the core of it, it is a fellowship, and fellowship, in my opinion, doesn't really have anything to do with genitalia you know we should say that we're probably gonna we're probably ruffling a few feathers right now by this conversation because we can already see and hear the same commentator saying oh it will never be this never be that this is what it is and all that it's like you know what i preface it with the fact that i am not a fan of mixed gender clubs been there done that bought the t-shirt and you know it didn't work for me that does not mean that they don't exist and that they are not real. But, you know, for those of you who are going to come on here, rah-rah, is going to be blah, blah, it's like, you know what? Just get over yourself because what we're discussing is not something new. We're discussing things that already exist and have existed for a very long time. So whether you like it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, they are here. Well, you know, like one of the funny things that I find with that is, uh, you know, there's two good examples of clubs represented in this podcast that have been around for a long time, one for an extremely long time. So how do you argue that that is not setting tradition and neither of those clubs have an MC cube? Neither of them have the traditional three-piece setup. So, you know, Jim, is there uh, something that you could speak to on that point? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, let me go back to what Professor Blade was saying about women being in clubs. I, I promise you, all those people that, that are getting butthurt about that and want to start yelling and screaming uh, about it, <clears throat> if you look to any one of these top clubs that you think of today, they all had women in them. Every single one that you can name of. And it's documented proof, and not just women in them, but sometimes officers, like the secretary. For a very famous club, was a woman, right? Um, those of you that that know, and and wasn't she a secretary for two different clubs at one time? At yes, she was at one point. <laughs> yes. So, and the reason there's a reason for that. So, whenever one percent clubs first came out as one percenters, there was no standard. They didn't have anything to look back on to see what a one percenter club was supposed to look like. So they looked back to the clubs that were before 
And all those clubs usually had women in them as well. So for them, it was just natural. It wasn't until things got really hot and heated between the one percenters that the patches were taken off the women. So this whole idea of, of women in MCs, it's not a new thing. So, you know, there it is. Now, as far as the patch setup, you know, every club has their own journey. My club didn't actually have a patch patch until the 1990s. Before that, we were still wearing our, our racing jerseys and our club sweaters, right? Uh, you take other big name clubs. There's one that their back patch is called a pancake because it's a perfect circle and, you know, they go back to the forties. It's every club has their own evolution of how they got to where they are as far as their patch setup. And this whole idea that, yes, there are some clubs that went and, and earned each patch, you know, earned their cube, earned their bottom rocker and all that from, you know, however they did it back in the day. Some clubs have taken that journey, but there are many others that have their own separate journey. So you can't go by that. You can't say, oh, that's a two-piece club, that means they're an RC. Or that's a three-piece club, that means they're an MC. That's bullshit. You have to take each club individually. So one of the things, uh, you know, kind of to speak on that, that um, I've heard, you know, over the years, um, and I kind of just want to throw it out there. So, may, you know, Jim, you're our resident historian for this episode. So maybe you can uh, tell me the validity of, the, validity of this. Um, but one of the stories I've heard about the, the evolution of the three-piece patch is that it came from when the outlaw clubs dispersed from the AMA and they took the one-piece AMA patches and took the top parts and separated all of them and then broke them all apart and sewed them back on their vest to it kind of like in protest to the AMA and, and things of that nature. What, what's the, how much truth is there to that? And uh, yeah, I guess that's the question. So I've heard that story as well. No one could ever tell me what club did that. You know, uh, I'd like to find that, but I've, I've heard that same story. Uh, but there was no AMA patch. Now, there is a very well-known Midwest 1% club that goes back to the 30s that has a protest patch for, against the AMA. They created their own, own thing. And that whole family of clubs wears that patch. That's the only anti-AMA patch that I know of. Uh, I've, I've heard that story, but I've never seen or been told what club it is that broke their patch apart in, in protest of the AMA. So. so that's one of those legends that's <clears throat> come out of something that nobody can verify, and it's like the, the uh, telephone game. It starts with one thing, and yeah. uh, who knows what's correct at the very end. Now, I'm not saying it's not true, but if you know it to be true, then come in and let us know. I want to learn, too. If you haven't found it out <laughs> by now, then more than likely it's an exaggeration of some kind. Well, I would say that that's probably accurate. You know, and I, I would say that because, you know, I know Ken's kind of going down this road that Dave went down to try and find the origins of the 1% moniker you know and it's it's more along the lines of like a like an exercise in trying to disprove dave so that dave's theory can kind of hold up and 
that man, they sucked me into it because I started going down that rabbit hole too. And I mean, I can't tell you how many hours I spent just looking up articles from like 1947 and 48 about, you know, anything to do with like the gypsy tour or that AMA quote that everybody says exists about, you know, 99% of bikers being law abiding citizens or whatever it is. And I just couldn't find anything, but I could find quotes that were similar, you know, like not similar enough to be like, yeah, that's it. But, you know, along the same themes where you could say like, okay, I can see how this got molded and shifted over the years and how this story and then, and this quote out of this article turned into like this folklore and, and legend. And then now it's just like a misrepresentation of, of history. There's a, a unique aspect to that that's not really, uh, hasn't been gone into, but the first time that I see the 1% moniker, at one time, from everything that I've seen, you didn't get that whenever you patched in. A 1%er, a diamond could only make a diamond. So you'd have clubs that some of them would be 1%ers, others in the same club wouldn't be. You know, it was an individual kind of thing. And my favorite quote of all of it, and I am going to name the club because it's this Mexican head in the Galloping Goose. Whenever they were talking about it, Mexican, Mexican head said, well, the Galloping Goose aren't 1% of anything. We're 100% motherfuckers. And you'll see they wear that today. I just think that was right the fuck on how more 1%er things be. <laughs> Another legend that I've heard is that the, uh, the top and the bottom rocker Making an O is what represents outlaw. You guys heard that? I hadn't heard that one. That's a so, sounds stupid to me too. I think you just made that up. I did just. I swear to you. I swear to you that was told to me before, and I kind of just. All right, if you say been, so. There might have been I, some weed weed involved in that one. Yeah, it sounds like somebody was toking up and looking at their brother's patch. Fucking <laughs> O, dude. We're outlaws. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, we talked about um, females in MCs uh, nowadays when it comes to females in outlaw clubs in general. What are our thoughts on that? No. No. I mean, I've, I've got kind of my own opinion, but I mean, the the bottom line is what I do like specifically with me and my club shouldn't make somebody else not be able to do something and shouldn't also give somebody else permission to do something. Um, there's different strokes for different folks. Now, just because of the fact that I don't fundamentally agree with everything that I see, it, I'm not a fucking authority on anything. All I know is that you know, I conduct myself according to the contract, for lack of a better word, that I agreed to that was pre-existing when I was, when I earned the offer from my club for full patch status. And then I accepted the terms and conditions of what that patch represents when I when I wore it, when I, when I sewed it on, that was, that was my signing on the dotted line. Um, and 
you know, I look back a little bit in the history of, of, of my own club, you know, and we started off as a single piece with motorcycle clubs spelled across the bottom. Um, you know, over 20 years, we became who we are now. And, but in the past, I saw some old patches that, that I had, uh, resurrected when we got evicted from our clubhouse. And I looked on the back of them and the date, <clears throat> brother's patch, it, everybody that voted him in signed the back of his patch. And that's kind of how my interpretation or my explanation of that contract of brotherhood kind of came out was seeing those signatures and seeing, you know, those dates from back in the day from a brother that passed on. And for whatever reason, that patch was in a, in a box with, um, with a bunch of old club pictures and, and memorabilia and stuff like that. And it kind of, you know, it brought up some of that nostalgia from, from the beginning when, when the club was being formed, when the bylaws were being created, when I'm sure a meeting that happened over weeks with a bunch of debate and, and arguing and, and deciding what the rules were going to be for that specific organization, which is mine now, um, came about. So in order for me to respect my own club, I have to give respect to folks that are that have earned that status in their club because how can I respect my own values and my own morals and what I have decided to live my life in that parallel path if I'm shitting on somebody else that did the exact same thing at some other point in history or in the future. We have to judge folks based on the content of their character, not the the look not their outside appearance not their outside appearance you know and and do a little digging and if you have a question or if you don't if something doesn't quite mesh with what you got going on in your brain have a conversation but you don't need to start it off by dogging or bitching somebody I, and and that's kind of the way i look at it when it when it comes i may not agree but who the fuck am i let me uh jump in there for a second and i'm going to we're talking about gender here. So, outlaw status, if a club claims outlaw status, they can hold it down. That's one thing. I have yet to see... And, okay, there are, a lot of, there are female MCs out there. I'll say that. But, there are female MCs out there who are claiming outlaw status, but they were started by men. Or they were started by men who they are um, in relationships with. And again, I'm not going to start pointing out things. So that's why it's a no for me. <laughs> could it happen? You know, we're about to hit World War Three right now. Anything could happen. So is it happened? Has it happened? I'm still a no. Yeah, I think that, you know, the workaround of this is. You know, if it's just a they them club, then yeah, they could they could do whatever they want, right? They them. You know, I haven't got around to that part yet. Yeah. <laughs> so is there a patch for that? I haven't got around to the. Uh, I'll probably get some flight for that, but you know, I use doctor for my pronouns. Um, I had an actual thought before I decided to be a jackass. 
and not so what does what traditional mean? We, we haven't broached that subject. Yeah, what, what does, does traditional mean? mean? I don't fuck. For me, I'm going to say traditional means that you're you're an older club. I mean, I'm going to say 20 to 30 years at this point. Um, because if you are younger than that, how do you know what the traditions are? That means you kind of create the traditions, especially if you're not a spin-off from an older club, if you are a brand new club that has a spin-off. I'm going to say 20 or 30 years minimum to be considered a traditional club, you know? Especially if you're a traditional club that's, uh, if, you, if, you, if you spun off from, any, from a uh, larger club. But if you don't have that kind of history or that kind of um, mingling with an older club, whether you're three-piece, one-piece, two-piece, whatever, how many pieces of fried chicken, um, I don't think you can call yourself a traditional club, you know. And that's what's bothered me is like you got a club that comes out there one or two years and they're saying, uh, we're a traditional club. No, you're not. If you were a traditional club, you wouldn't be announcing your presence that way. You would have done things the traditional way and found out that you have the exact same mission as a club that already exists down the street from you. So traditional club means you're following traditions and not being in a hurry to recreate the wheel, you're going to try and enjoy and join an existing caravan before trying to, you know, build up your own, if that makes any sense. I mean, that sounds very cryptic and um, a little cliche, but what the hell? I like that joining a caravan. That's very elegant. You should probably uh, teach English or something. Something. <laughs> You know, you you said something that, you know, it kind of changed where I thought I was going to go one way with it, but then listening to you, I I kind of decided to go a different way. And and that is, uh, you know, I think a lot of times people use that term traditional. I've seen a lot lot of times the most often I hear that when somebody's like, oh, yeah, there there wasn't any like traditional MCs in my area. I was just, we wanted to start our own MC and just do it the traditional way. Oh, it's like, yeah, like now that now that you mentioned that blade, it's like, you know, I, I realize that that's typically what a lot of people are doing. They're using it as like this cop out term. And I think Chris kind of mentioned this earlier as well to to kind of gain validity. But if you were following tradition, you would seek out another club that was already out there and go through the tradition of prospecting and and all those things. You know, but I think if you want to call something traditional. When, when we look at the evolution of motorcycle club culture as a whole, I don't think you can nail down too many specifics to what traditional is because it's evolved so much. And, you know, I think people are um, they're resistant to change. And who's to say that what is commonplace today is not going to be just something that we look back on in 20 years and say, like, man, can you believe those guys are doing it like that? Because, like, could you imagine some guy now riding up to an event with a racing sweater on? It would seem so out of place for most people, but that was traditional back in the day. And I think it's fucking badass, but I think most people in the motorcycle club world would, would look at you and be like, what the fuck is that? Because they don't know their history and they don't know their tradition, but they want to say 
I'm a traditional MC. Well, how? How if, if you don't know the history going back like pre 1950s, 1960s? Which kind of goes back to my point. I want to clear, clarify it's like, it's not the age of the club, it's also what kind of guidance have you received? I can think of a couple of, you know, pretty new three piece patch clubs right now, but they've received guidance and support from older MCs. And these clubs have their place. They were created for a specific niche that didn't exist for people who didn't want to be part or couldn't be part of that other club. So tradition, as I said, is also what kind of guidance have you received? You want to prospect people, but you have never prospected you know, yourself before, or you've never been told how to prospect correctly. How can you guide somebody and how to prospect? So what kind of guidance have you received in the establishment of your organization? Yeah, being righteous enough that somebody wants to take the time to say, hey, I recognize you're a new club. I see that you guys got that thing. You guys got that thing. We want to help you. We want to, we've been around for a long time. You guys are breaking into it. You see you're doing it for the right reasons. You're carrying yourselves accordingly. Most often, I think when, when larger or more established, you know, longevity clubs do that with a younger club, they see, hey man, if those, these are the type of guys that we would want to prospect for our organization. But we also respect the fact that they're doing it this way. We see that. So we're going to help them, not hinder them. You know what I mean? Because there's got to be that, there's got to be that baseline that, shows that you know that you're about it that you want to be a positive and asset to the community versus a drain on it or a liability so you guys had mentioned something earlier about you know if you're doing it the traditional way you would have gone out and found a club that matches your values instead of starting something new so i i've had this discussion before guys were saying you know well back before world war ii there was Dozens and dozens of clubs everywhere. They were just popping up. So you have to look at the difference. So before World War II, clubs were mainly about racing. So that's why you had a lot of clubs show up. And that's why it was common for guys to actually belong to several clubs at one time. Because it was all about racing. Now, after World War II, it's more about brotherhood. It's more about uh, the love of the motorcycle. Right? So that's why today you need to find club that matches you and your guys that started something new. The whole idea of just starting another racing club, that's over. Now, that's hardly done. So concentrate more on on building that brotherhood and building that love of the motorcycle. And I promise you, whatever you think that you have that's unique, you don't. It's already out there. Just go find it. In omnipatris, spiritus sanctus, amen. Well, I think uh, one of the things that you know we, we kind of hit on a, a bunch in this is that a lot of what this is is like people trying to apply a title or a label to something that doesn't necessarily need a title or a label. You know, um, there's plenty of people out there doing you know the, like there's uh, there's plenty of guys in co-ed clubs 
that the you know if if you came and you harass their wife and their children or their brothers or their sisters in their club, they're not just going to sit there and take it. You know, like they're going to they're going to rise up and they're going to defend what's theirs, just like anybody in an outlaw or a one percent club would. So, I feel like uh, you know, in a lot of these situations, somebody might think like, oh, if if they're not calling me an outlaw, they think I'm like a pussy. Or there might be somebody that thinks like, if this person's not in an outlaw club, then it makes them lesser. And, and it really, uh, we're all men in this one and the same, you know? So there's there's nothing that makes, I, I didn't put a diamond on and then get like a one-up multiplier on all my attributes, you know? I, I don't punch harder than before I got the patch. I probably punch less hard because I'm older now. Um, you know, like the, there's, it doesn't change who you are. Um, it, if you're in this life, you should know what the intricacies of each level of the tiered system are. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go into all that, but having a label that doesn't necessarily fit, like what you think of yourself as, as an individual, don't make that a reason for you to chase or want to like call yourself something different or, and don't make it something where you would, look down on somebody because they're not an outlaw or a one percenter or whatever you want to call it. Treat everybody as if they're men, you know, and and, and show respect and, and common courtesy to everybody that you come across. Now to contradict myself completely. Perfect. <laughs> We've talked about this before too. Um, if you're a one percenter and you leave your club, are you still a one percenter? And go. No. The one percent patch belongs to the club. You can conduct your life in that way. You can conduct your life a bit. It's like, look, the one percent patch belongs to the club. Yeah, well, that title, that title belongs to the club 100%. Because you can yeah. be a... <laughs> In your own right. But if you're not in a 1% club, I don't look at you as a 1%er because that is something that's specific to the motorcycle club. So, I mean, you know, does that mean that I'm not going to fucking dot your eye or fucking punch you in the mouth if you do the same shit if I'm not in my club anymore to my kid? Not at all. I would do that shit before I joined my club. I did that shit while I was in the military, and that's why I was a terminal E6. Um, but I wasn't a one percenter. I didn't become a one percenter until I was bestowed that privilege and title by the men that I prospected under and the club that I prospected for. And that title is something that I will only have as long as number one, my club is able to keep that title. And number two, I'm able to continue to earn my patch on a daily basis. The day that stops, then uh, there's going to be a couple tattoos that are going to have to get covered up. Yeah, unless you retire. See, I think this goes back to the whole labeling thing because, you know, even with my club, I've never heard anybody say this in person or out loud, but I see on the internet, you know, people say like, oh, Chosen Fuse on a 1% club. Okay. Like, I don't really care if you think I'm 1% or if you think I'm not. I conduct myself a certain way. And call it whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I think that should really be anybody's attitude that's 
gets out of a club. Like, why do you need to call yourself a one percenter anymore? Like, you can't just like be a stand up righteous guy who you know has all these other attributes that you attribute to being like what a one percenter is. Um, to me, the reason that you lose the status is because part of having that status as a one percenter is a certain level of commitment, dedication, maturity to be able to manage and balance the life, um, the ability to conduct yourself in a way that you're able to maintain that status. So if you get to a point where the club life is no longer for you, then I don't think you've upheld what that diamond means because you're no longer able to balance things or things don't fit into your life the way they used to. So why would you consider yourself that elite person in the motorcycle club world if you could no longer function within the motorcycle club world? It seems as if it's a, if it's a contradiction to me. And, you know, I know sometimes there's situations where due to legal matters, maybe you had to step away. So I get that. Like, you know, if somebody wanted to like, write me an exclusion to the policy. Like I'll, I'd gladly sign that one, but my opinion doesn't matter for shit anyways. But you know, that, that's just the way I think about it is, you know, there is a, uh, a level of expectation and a level of commitment that I think goes hand in hand with wearing a diamond. And I think if you are, if you're not able to maintain that, then you're not able to maintain your status. You know, I'm going to agree with you in the sense that, yeah, the 1% title is a club title. It's a club title. It's a club status. And if you're not in a club, you can't claim that status. I've met a lot of righteous men who were in 1% of clubs, and they refer to themselves as former 1%ers. It doesn't mean they're any less. It doesn't mean they don't have the same ideals, but they recognize that they are not part of a club anymore. But Blade... I believe it in my heart. I feel like I'm a one percenter in my heart. You sound like you drink too much milk. So, <laughs> or is it dog? Uh, or you have too many dogs, or something like that? And, and, oh Jesus! Did you just say that? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think what you're talking about, Blade, is an understanding of that person that really understood what that diamond meant. When they're referring to themselves as a former one percenter, that's them giving respect to the title and saying, I, "Yes, I was that. I, I'm formerly that," and that's still showing respect for the men that are still holding it up and holding it true and holding it down to this day. Uh, I mean, I, I, I. You look at me right now, right? It says Submariner. I used to be one. I don't go out, I don't show up to work every morning and cross the brow, request permission to go aboard and put a submarine out to sea anymore. But But you'll always be a bubble. What was that? You'll always be a bubblehead though. Yes, because those dolphins that got that that I earned when I left the military, my title was Machinist Mate First Class Submarines Milner. Boom. And let's let's add to that. We have people well, I'll take my club who have left my club in good stand. 
I will always refer to them as a diamond. Treat them like a diamond because they left with honor, even if they didn't leave with retirement status. They left with honor. They're going to have that same respect from me because they left with honor. I think we're talking about two different things. We're talking about people who left for the wrong reasons or never earned it in the first place versus those who are no longer part of an organization and left in an honorable way. We're talking about folks who go around the country, and there's not too many of them really, wearing a 1% diamond or patch, but have never belonged to a club. As much as, you know, we see those comments like, hey, I'm more of a one percenter because I live my life one percent way. It's like, no, you didn't live life one percent way if you've never been part of a club. You didn't commit to a group of men. You didn't commit to rules. You didn't commit to paying dues, etc., etc. You might be a righteous dude, but sorry, you never committed to that life. And and how would you even know what it was? Like, how would you even? How could you say like I live my life? What did you you watch Sons of Anarchy or like you watched a couple episodes of Ganglands? Like, how the fuck would you know what my it cousin, is? My cousin's friend's brother's left nut was. Uncrocked uh... missing half his left nut. We can't talk about that. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So, like, kind of as a rule, we're a little bit anti-establishment, right? Let's not beat around the bush on it. But we're anti being told what we have to do but us deciding for ourselves the rules that we choose to live in and the, the 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 way in which we choose to go about that that in and of itself that part of being able to curtail that is part of the balance that that no talking about earlier there you have to experience it in order to really understand it you're not going to pick it up off national geographic or listening to podcasts for 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 that uh, reason. I mean, how are you going to prospect your dudes? You're going to have them go ask Jeeves, how do I get into a real motorcycle club? How could I be traditional? Well, you, you have just to dated the fuck the- out of yourselves there. You said ask Jeeves? Yeah. This is 1997? Something like that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that- was a good year. <clears throat> but, you know, I mean, you got to be out there. You got to see it. You know, it's not something that you can... I mean, you can read about it in a book and, and have a little bit of understanding and feel some of that nostalgia you know thankfully some folks have put in pen to paper across the years and and some of that stuff and those thoughts and feelings have been have been saved and have been you know cataloged and documented and you know we do have a a a way to follow the rabbit hole and 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 kind of get an idea or a feeling of what that was back in those days as the fact that it's there, but the only reason that we're able to draw those ties is because the folks that are doing those rabbit hole searches are living it, are living this version of it today. So there's a deeper understanding of what those words, of what those words meant, and an ability to read between the lines and and get a better feel for what was going on based on today's experience and today's struggles and today's turmoil and watching how those events unfolded throughout the years. 
And that's why I love what Drifter and Andar and Punk Rock do with history. Because, I mean, I don't have the patience or the mental acuity to do it. But when they come with these articles that are well-crafted and well-thought-out and well-researched and documented, and it kind of, when I read that stuff, I have to take, when I see a big one coming out from one of them, a big article coming out from one of those guys, I will screenshot it and I will wait and read it when I have the amount of time to give it the respect or the amount of effort that went into it because it's a it's a time machine and that shit is fucking amazing to me it should, it should be noted that we live in a highly regimented and regulated world it might not be part of society's norms but we certainly have our own laws, our rules, and regulations. I don't go out a day without, you know, thinking about, okay, is what I'm doing right now could it affect my club? You know, is how I'm being perceived could it be a reflection on my club? So to those who think that, you know, oh, you live life your own way, or you, you know, sure, within the rules of your club. <laughs> Within the rules, you know, you never want to embarrass your club. Yeah, within the rules of protocol, too. I yeah. mean, you can't just show up to an event and just think you're going to hang out and cool. There are certain tasks and things that have to be done as soon as you show up. That's just how it is. Well, then we're always going to have those people that are going to be listening to this and they're going to say something in the comments. Well, for people that are so anti-establishment, how do you guys have so many rules? And here's the thing, I mean, we said it time and time again, the rules that we're talking about are the rules that we have chosen to follow. We have chosen to prescribe ourselves to an organization whose rules are shaped by the body of that organization, which is us, and they're a reflection of our morals and our ethics. So, to say that we are like contradicting ourselves by saying that we're anti-establishment, but then join an establishment. I'm anti your establishment. I'm anti society's general concept of what right and wrong is. I'm outside of the government's concept of how responsibility and accountability work. I'm all for the way my club does it. I love the way my club does it. You know, I, I think it's very fair. I think it's very straightforward. The rules, uh, if, if there's anything in there that needs tweaking, I have a voice where I can speak up to it. And if people agree with me, then it gets changed. That's fucking democracy. That's like exactly what I want to be a part of. Not this fucking bullshit that we live in, in in the regular society. So, that I mean, that's what we mean when we say we're anti-establishment. Yeah, we have rules. We chose to follow those rules, and those are rules that we have a hand in guiding. I would say that the rules that MCs follow today have more in common with the rules of gentlemen's society of the 1800s, much more than they do with modern-day society. I mean, look at how we speak to each other. Uh, there's a certain way that, that we move amongst each other. And, and if you look back at gentlemen's society in the 1800s, it was the same thing. And you step out of those lines, there's a price to be paid. That's just how it is. Yeah. It starts with courtesy. Hey, so no shame. I'm gonna I'm gonna step away to 
uh, grab a drink real quick. So if you want to talk about um, your experience with your dad in the motorcycle club and him dying, I'll play punk. <laughs> yeah, I'll make up some story. Actually, this is a perfect time for me to. Uh, I, so I was listening to the podcast that uh, you, the like the OGs podcast that you, Ken and uh, Dave did, Drifter. And uh, there was a point in there where you were talking where Dave asked you uh, something along the lines of like, what do you think the focus of the page is? And you were going down like all the different aspects of it. And and when I was listening to you talk, I was just like, I just want to let you know, you're like a fucking national treasure, dude. Like, I'm so appreciative of the way that you look at things. I have a brother in my club who's kind of like you to where like, I'll see something for like face value and he looks at it like on a deeper level and can like give me the best version of it. And I feel like that's you and it, I hope that everybody listening that's that's made it through the 57 minutes so far, so we're down to like five listeners, take Drifter's lead on, on the way that you look at this life and try and dig for the positive shit in it. Because just listening to you talk, dude, I can like hear the love that you have for this culture. And like, I really fucking appreciate it. You see, you say shit like that, but then I saw the TikTok video where you said, oh, I would like to have a body like you know, like Drifter, and then you've got all these dancing fat-ass horses and everybody. I saw that shit. Yeah. And I'll have you know, I, I was being genuine. Like, at his age. I saw that. I I'm not going to comment on TikTok. Okay. I still don't know how to use Instagram. I'm still just kind of figuring out TikTok. So it's, uh, it's amusing. It's entertaining. But I don't think I'm going to ever make a TikTok video. Like I said, it's the most toxic place on the internet. Yeah, I can't. I'm on there, and I watch some shit, and I I have to, I have to hit the ejecto cedo cuz after about five minutes, because it's just too crazy for me. Did we lose Drifter? He's he's in freeze mode. Hmm. I wonder what he's saying. Well, you know the timing is good though. Yeah, we are at about an hour. Yeah. Well, shit. And to deliver the I wonder computer if he's back. so I can do I my I guess tax. we can just wrap it up. I think we hit all the subjects. Yeah, so, you know, those of you who cannot see it, Drifter is in mid-something. Oh, they'll see it. We're, we're, this is going to be a video. Yeah, if you're listening on yeah. Spotify, though. Oh, yeah, we lost him completely. We lost him, yeah. So you, you'll see my dog, my daughter, and stuff like that, and, you know. Yeah, you'll see my kid coming around in the background with a snuggie on, looking yeah. like a whole weirdo. But don't mess with my daughter. It's like she's one of those. It's like, and if she ever starts dating, it's like she'll be calling me to go collect the body. So, you know, good luck with that. And she's got a lot of uncles, so I don't think you have to worry. Yeah, exactly. Well, shit. I appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I, I wanted to hit this subject with as much. Uh, Oh, wait, Drifter's back. Bye bye. So we're just wrapping it up. Um, I was just saying, I you know, I, I appreciate you guys coming on here. I'm glad that we got so many different takes because I think it was a uh, the topics that we covered. You know, they they can be taken in a lot of different ways, and you know, I think one of the major themes is that the motorcycle club world started in one place. It's evolved to where it is now. It's going to continue to evolve, but as long as we hold. To, and I won't say traditions because I think we've established that like nobody knows what the fuck those are anymore. But as long as we hold to the values 
of, of what the community is based on. You know, brotherhood, respect. Um, what's the word when you go? Fellowship. Um, Tradition. You know, and, and just supporting one another, you know, protocol and, and, and honoring the history of where we come from. I think that's how we uh, we move forward in a righteous manner. And I think traditions, today's traditions become tomorrow's culture, right? So traditions, there's always going to be new traditions that are going to end up coming up, right? They stand the test of time. But then those ones that just don't ever that's when it becomes adopted into culture. And then it's just, it's that at that point. So, you know, being cognizant and aware that the world is evolving, that new blood is coming in and with new blood is new eyes, fresh ideas. And, you know, that can never be a bad thing because if, if new blood didn't come in and new traditions weren't established that, that made old traditions become culture, then the community at large would not have evolved to what it is today. And we're part of setting that groundwork for what it's going to be 30 years down the road. Um, and we keep, and then we keep it moving in a positive direction. Um, and the tenets of brotherhood, of respect, of loyalty, of trust, of integrity, as long as, as long as that's there and, and that's, those stitches to keep us together, then, I mean, we're going to continue to move in a positive direction. And that's, that's all anybody can ask for out of an organization is to continue to grow and be an asset rather than a liability. Oh, I got blessed. We all got blessed today. I didn't go with the ball of flames. It's early yet. Hang on. I know. Huh? Good, shit. Good to go. All right. Appreciate you guys. Okay. So, so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like at his age <laughs> now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs>